This is The Think Tank with Dr. Mike O'Neill talking about the major political, economic, and social issues of the week. KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. The Think Tank. We're going to talk this week about protest and some of the reactions to them, notably recent protests in Phoenix. Our guests are David Biscabing, who's an investigative reporter with Channel 15, who is doing some absolutely stunning work on uh, on a couple of recent protests in Phoenix and police and law enforcement reaction to those. Tom Ryan, uh, well known to this show, very active attorney in town. And Darrell Hill, who is the ACLU policy director, also an attorney. And uh, gentlemen, uh, all of you, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, bud. Thank you. Uh, David, uh, I wanted to start with you and, and have you describe uh, some of the things that you've been doing. And particularly, I wanted to start out with, uh, there was in 2017, there was an anti-Trump protest in downtown. And, and I'll let you describe the sequence of events and what you've uncovered about that. Well, so it's one of the more well-known, um, well-remembered um, protests and police responses uh, that we've seen other than the George Floyd um, outbreak of protests early uh, in the middle of last year. So Trump came to town for a rally. He was at the Phoenix Convention Center, and the backdrop was he was just about, and everybody knew it, he was about to pardon Sheriff Joe Arpaio. So tensions in the community were pretty high. Um, Trump's visit uh, already raises kind of the temperature. So people came out, and it got heated. And Phoenix police were out in force, um, in anticipation of what they thought was going to be a major show of what they thought was going to be Antifa, right? So there was a group that they thought was Antifa rocking a, a barricade. They started shooting pepper balls at the ground. That agitated the, the crowd at large. And then pretty much all hell broke loose. And Phoenix engaged in a, in a very dramatic show of force. Um, and it riled up both sides incredibly. It's now the focus of a class action lawsuit from Puente, ACLU, Arizona, against uh, Phoenix, the amount of evidence in that case is overwhelming. Um, a lot of it not very good for the Phoenix Police Department, but buried in that file is something that we thought was very relevant to what we're looking into about the political pro prosecutions of protesters, and it gets to intent. And there was an iconic moment from that protest. It's nationally known, it was viral. It was a man who got shot in the groin after kicking a gas canister back towards the police line away from other protesters, and he was shot in the groin. And so what turns out is that the officers that are the main officers on the protest response team, the tactical response unit, a lot of them uh, obtained, sold, shared uh, what's called a challenge coin. They're like little trophies that they carry around. It's prevalent in law enforcement circles. But this one said on the front, good night left nut with a picture of him being shot in the groin. And on the back, it said, make America great again, one nut at a time. And so it is this celebratory trophy or trophies, many people had them, that they were spreading around the department. Um, they were happy to own and kind of gleefully uh, celebrating with um, the violence against a protester. And then we learned that that protester, the video that came out when it happened, it was obstructed by a tree. So what we didn't see is seconds before he got shot in the groin, he was helping a woman who tripped get off the ground who had been hit by a pepper ball and then as he's running her away, he gets shot in the back with a pepper ball. So he got frustrated and he did something he admits he shouldn't have and he kicked the canister. So there's a lot more context there that we discovered. And so that, that protest kind of sets the, the backdrop 
for everything we looked forward to because it really gets to the intent of the officers responsible for these protest responses. Are they really there to respect people's rights and keep the peace? Or are they there to serve some street justice, which this coin certainly shows they want to do? This is one of the few minutes where I think it's really a shame that uh, we're doing radio and not television. But one of the things that you uh, uncovered was this additional video. And I must say, when I saw that additional vi video, it completely changed the interpretation of that man's actions. Because as you said, he's, he, he's, He's not a protagonist. He, he goes over to help this woman who's been shot already with a, with a, a pepper bullet, and which really stings, you know. That, that, it, and then he gets shot in the back. And then almost, he gets shot, in, in, and it's almost instinctively there's this canister that I guess was probably the one that hit him in the back, and it's just kind of a swiping motion with its foot. You know, this was not a premeditated act. This is not like he ran out in there and found the can and threw it back. This was somebody who had just been shot and he's in pain and, and there's a sweep of the foot and he kicks it back towards the police. And they charged him for that, according to your reporting, if I recall, with aggravated assault. They did. They charged him with aggravated assault on a police officer. Now, we should note that he ended up pleading guilty to a misdemeanor, I believe, disorderly conduct charge. I mean, no jail, right? Um, you know, it's a probation. I think he paid some fines and did community service. And, you know, it's very likely that the video that he showed us for the first time was going to be something that I think the prosecution probably didn't want to have to come in open court because that could severely change the case. And, and here's something else. The officer that shot him in the, well, shot him in the groin and shot him in the back and fired that thing at the woman. It was the same officer. His name's Christopher Turiano. He's on the Brady list. Two officers reported him previously in the past for choking a handcuffed man. So this is Explain an Explain what the Brady list is, please. Yeah, so we've done a lot of investigating on the Brady list. The Brady list is really a list kept by prosecutors to track officers with integrity, honesty, and credibility concerns. According to the U.S. Constitution, um, Brady v. Maryland, and a couple other cases afterwards, if there's exculpatory evidence or evidence that hurts the credibility of the prosecution's case, it has to be disclosed. That's what makes a fair trial. MCAO and Phoenix Police do a very bad job of that. They don't even know what Brady requires, which was one of the most stunning parts of our investigation. But the point being, this guy, he was investigated by his own department, turned in by his own officers for his prior, previous violence. And then, you know, the police department felt that they should forward this to the county attorney's office to keep him tracked uh, from henceforth. So, you know, that, that's the kind of information that should be disclosed. Now, the, the guy that got shot in the groin didn't know about this. So clearly, even before he set the plea deal, they didn't do their constitutional duty in informing him, or at least hadn't yet. And again, that's another problem, but that's the Brady list. In, in other words, a Brady list is something, the principle being if the police have information that uh, per pertain to some claim of innocence on the part of somebody who, who's arrested, they can't conceal that. They have to turn it over. Right. right. It's, 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 go ahead, Tom. Uh, that's right. No, you, you, Mike, you're right. And, and, and the point that David's making here that I think is it's, it's a little bit more narrow than, than just you have to turn over exculpatory evidence. When a police officer is engaged in misconduct, um, that, is, that goes to that officer's uh, credibility. And they are each uh, police unit or department is required to keep a list of that type of misconduct by that officer 
so that that becomes part of the whole scope of Brady exculpatory material that you have to disclose. And so the fact that the city of Phoenix is not effectively doing this and the county attorney is not effectively enforcing this, it allows what happened back in the Trump, anti-Trump 2017 rally, it allows them now to, to act in a rogue fashion. There, there is absolutely no accountability if you don't maintain an appropriate Brady list. We're, we're have, gonna, I, go ahead. Oh, I'm just gonna say, we're gonna return in just a moment and we're gonna discuss a more recent protest and uh, what, what David and his group uh, is uncovered when we return in just a moment in the Think Tank. There's something happening here What it is ain't exactly clear There's a man with a gun over there Telling me I got to beware I think it's time we stop, children, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. Okay, we are back with David Biscabing, reporter for Channel 15, Tom Ryan, attorney, and Darrell Hill, who is also an attorney and ACLU policy director. Uh, Dave, a second set of events uh, concern a more recent protest. I wonder if you'd go through what what you've uncovered in that. So there was an arrest on October 17, 2020. And some of these protesters um, knew each other. They were a group that organized and sometimes protested various times throughout the the summer and fall. Mm -hmm. Some people saw a flyer for the protest and joined for the first time. And one person caught up in the case was a nurse from Prescott who was downtown shooting photography of the buildings at sunset and saw it, kind of followed along on the sidewalk, took some pictures, and he's been dragged up. Now, the significance of this protest and these arrests is less about the arrests, which are troubling in the amount that they charge them with, but it's one charge in particular. They charge this group as a criminal street gang. We broke the story a few days after the arrests, um, about a week or two after, um, that they had indicted this group as a criminal street gang. I had not yet seen or obtained the grand jury transcript, confidential secret testimony that they used to obtain these charges. Um, And the basis for these are nothing short of stunning, wild, outlandish, and in in some ways, just an outright lie. They claim that this group, who there were 17 of them marching down the street, um, essentially carrying umbrellas, are more dangerous. This is a Phoenix police sergeant who testified this, are more dangerous or as dangerous um, as the Crips, the Bloods, and the Hells Angels. And he makes repeated references to those different gangs at the prompting of the prosecutor. And it is just really stunning to, to hear, to, to hear that they would compare these people in the street who tipped over some cones and street signs that are temporary because there's a lot of construction and at least some smoke makers to slow and annoy the police. They're totally trying to annoy the police. There's about 40 or 50 of them following this group of 17 to gangs that have killed thousands and thousands of people in their history. And uh, uh, from reading through your stuff, the, the claim was based on s- several elements, which they said uh, that one, they, they, they were uh, shouting, well, I'll let you tell that. There, there are three elements to, that they said that you, if you've got these elements, you're a street gang. 
Well, so first thing to, to hear for the viewers is that to charge someone as a street gang in Arizona, it's a pretty, a lot of opinion can be applied to the application. The statute is very broad. Uh, you need just two of seven criteria. Those are things like self-proclamation. You shout a common phrase. Uh, you know, there's testimony. People, from people do in protests all the time. Right, right. Colors, if you wear a colored, there's an any other category that they can throw anything other. So here are the three things that they say make this group a criminal street gang. One, they mostly wore black uh, to protest. Two, they used, they, they all carried umbrellas, which is to block usually um, alt-right counter protesters from doxing them and also to block the pepper spray and pepper balls that are often launched at them by the police. And then the third is what they named the gang, the ACAB gang. Um, it's what police and prosecutors are calling them. And it's because they shout, uh, part of my language, all cops are bastards. It's a very common protest phrase. It's used in every major city and every state and across the country and across the world. It goes back about 100 years, maybe more. Um, but yet they testified that that was a very specific phrase to this specific group here in Phoenix that they've used throughout the summer. And so for those three reasons, they chanted, they carried umbrellas and they wore black. They are now a criminal street gang in the eyes of the Maricopa County Attorney's Office and Phoenix Police. Now, I, I'm just thinking about for a second about those criteria. Uh, they could have applied that uh, criteria to the teachers, the red for red folks. You, you could have charged them as a street gang as well, using the same criteria applied evenly. I think that there's a lot of, uh, <laughs> I've had a, 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 an attorney involved in the case described to me, like I worry about my daughter's choir group you know, going to an event and, you know, jaywalking and them saying, you know, hey, well, they dress the same sweatshirts. They're, you know, singing the same songs and they, uh, you know, did did a crime. They've met two criteria. Hey, you got a street game. What about sports teams that fans that fight, right? I mean, you know, it sounds ridiculous, but that's the point. And that's the issue here. Lawyers carrying briefcases. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, the lawyers rally in December of 2009 when Andrew Thomas was out there trying to arrest Judge Donahoe. We had 500 lawyers show up at the, you know, at the steps of the courthouse, and we all recited the same thing, the, the oath of professionalism. That would have been, uh, according to our current county attorney, that, that would be a violent game. Well, uh, they were upset. One of, the things, one of the things I want to add, and you know, MCA Owen has, has just flatly refused to discuss this case uh, publicly, they say that ethical rules prevent them. They won't get into the grand jury evidence, which we have now. So somebody you know, leaked that to you. I see. did not leak it to me. Um, you know, someone decided it was so egregious that a defense attorney filed it as a motion as part of a motion to remand. So it is sitting in the public court file now for anyone to see. Um, and I think the most important thing is one of the things the county attorney's office and Alistair Adele herself, the county attorney has said is we will not allow violence in our streets. Well, the judge heard a bond hearing for one of these these members in which they wanted to hold her without bond, keep her in jail in perpetuity until her trial, which is pretty wild for that kind of crime. And the judge said, hey, they might have done some you know, misdemeanor crimes and annoyed you and bothered you, but I see nothing that results to the threat of violence or violence. So that, that phrase from the county attorney's office is already contradicted by a judge who looked at this evidence in an hour and a half court hearing and says, I don't see violence. So you know, in fact, the group came down to a huddle at the end when they were when they were getting arrested on a public street corner with the umbrellas around them, and then they were arrested. So they didn't even charge at the police in any way, shape, or form. Okay, uh, we've now established kind of the factual basis of what's happened. We're gonna we're gonna pick this up after the break and talk about some of the some of the legal implications of this when we return in just a moment in the think tank. Nobody's right. 
from Channel 15, Tom Ryan, attorney, Darrell Hill, ACLU policy director, and also an attorney. And uh, we've been talking about a couple of recent protests and and what's been going on in the court. Uh, There has been a a spate of uh, legislation that's been proposed. And Darrell, you recently wrote a piece about this published in the Arizona Mirror. I wonder if you could take us through that. Sure. Um, No, at at the legislature, there's been a kind of horrible response to some of these political protests and they and they take two different flavors. One is we've seen a lot of bills that try to protect police from accountability. They, 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 they attempt to shield police from the efforts of protesters to bring justice. And the second slate of bills and perhaps more Trumpy set of bills are bills that punish protesters and really are fringe on protesters' First Amendment rights. We've seen a number of bills, HB 2485 and SB 1125 to name two, that would punish people who do not commit any sort of violence or criminal activity. They would simply punish people for being at the protest and present um, and really endanger people's right to protest and their ability to hold police accountable in public. Um, we think these efforts are part and parcel of a, a whole attack on kind of the democratic process in, in Arizona. It's hard not to view these bills in connection with the bills that will limit a uh, person's right to vote. We've seen over 100 bills that will limit people's right to vote. We also see these bills that you know, specifically target Black Lives Matter protesters. By Tell making... us if you would some of the specifics of what these bills would do. Sure. So under um, SB eleven twenty five, the bill makes um, the bill makes uh, targeting a police officer a biased crime. So, you know, if if you are in a protest and you're accused of harassing a police officer or you know chanting uh, words at police officers, you could be charged for a crime, um, particularly if you know you're accused of, of obstructing a thoroughfare, or a, a street, or anything like that. They, 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 they. These bills provide harsh penalties up to class four felonies for for normal activities that uh, are are part and parcel of the protest history of Arizona. We've seen they, they would make sit-ins, demonstrations. Um, potentially felonies in Arizona and really chill people's uh, uh, opportunity to uh, participate in protests. Some of this, uh, what what really I found scary is, is my read of some of this is if you participate in a protest and somebody else commits an act of violence or destruction that in effect you can be held uh, liable for that. That's that's correct. Um, you know, in some of these bills, 
the person doesn't have to commit property damage. They don't even have to know the person who's committing the property damage or the or the acts of violence. They can be held liable and they can be held um they can be charged with up to a class six felony. A lot of these bills don't allow for persons to even be released from jail for up to 12 hours, um, you know, threatening their due process rights and um, potentially punishing them for a crime date that they, they had no and part in. And it's also mandatory punishment before trial. Exactly. Like if, if you mandate that you hold somebody for a certain period of time and they haven't been convicted of anything, that if that's not a, I mean, look, I'm not an attorney, but if that's not a violation of due process, I don't know what is. It, it, it's a, it, it's it, there are a lot of violations with the laws, uh, constitutional violations that they're trying to pass. The, these laws are very broadly drafted and narrowly drafted so that they could catch something like the Black Lives Matter uh, protest. For example, if you're there with six or more people, that's an unlawful assembly. So if you're a good Mormon family or a Catholic family and you got 10 kids or 12 kids and they're all wearing the same color clothes, uh, you know, uh, you, you, you better be careful. The other thing is thoroughfare that Durrell is talking about, that's a that's a broad term. What, what is a thoroughfare? Thoroughfare can be a sidewalk. A thoroughfare could be uh, a pathway through a park. A thoroughfare can be a street. I mean, so when we when you start reading these things, uh, it should it should scare every thoughtful American and Arizonan that our state legislature is trying to abridge the rights of free speech and the right of assembly that is a constitutional right. And that is the point of this. And they're not, this isn't about, uh, this isn't about, um, uh, you know, we, we just think this has gone too far. This is, as Darrell has pointed out, this is about going after the things like the Black Lives Matter protests. And that's the, that's the shameful aspect of this. We saw, yeah. go ahead. The purpose of these bills, you know, is not to deter violent activity um, for breaking out of protest. Those acts are already illegal. Um, as the ACBC 50 series shows, police and prosecutors are telling flat out lies to secure mm -hmm. convictions under these laws. These bills will only make the penalties more harsh and extend them to people who truly are only attending the protests to exercise their First Amendment right. That's why these bills are so dangerous, because um, they, they, they target people who participate in protests, not people who commit acts of violence or acts of destruction. Which, which you point out already, you know, throw a rock through a glass, that's already criminal damage. Right. Correct. But you have to do it yourself to be held liable for it. Lawmakers you know, who support these attacks on the right to protest are also leading efforts to make it harder to vote. And they're also targeting, specifically targeting Black Lives Matter. I don't think it's any coincidence that the harshest critics of Black Lives Matter are the people who are bringing these bills. They know that the prosecutors and the police will use these tools to target protesters who they disagree with politically. And we'll see more political prosecutions after these, if these bills are passed. Well, it seems to me two things, observation. One is they seem to collectively attempt to criminalize all protest or at least make any potential protester think twice about the legal risk that they would put themselves to, even if they personally stay entirely within the law. I is think that you're going to, I think, I apologize, Joe. I think what you're going to see is selective enforcement. And, and we've already seen that. Uh, for example, you know, these, these 17 uh, people who go out and protest this summer and charged as gangs, that's ridiculous. Yet you saw the assault on the Maricopa County Recorder's Office uh, during the, the 
the finalization of the ballot counting for the November 3rd election, there was no police prosecution or presence for any of that. It's the selective prosecution that makes this even scarier, aside from just the language that we're seeing here. A number of these bills contain language that particularly targets young people who protest. So there's there's language in these bills that would prevent um, young people who were charged and convicted from ever receiving tuition assistance, from ever receiving public assistance. And this is really meant to deter mostly our young black and brown leaders who are out in the streets raising issues around police brutality and police accountability. Um, you know, groups like Mass Liberation and Black Lives Matter Phoenix who are out there every day talking about police brutality and being targeted by the Phoenix police and the Maricopa County Attorney's Office, these bills are meant to give those, those bad actors more tools to politically prosecute people they disagree with. Tom, let me ask you this question, a, a, a constitutional question. I look at these laws collectively and say, is there any way any of these would survive a constitutional challenge, given the First Amendment right to peaceably assembly and protest? If you apply traditional rules of constitutional analysis, the answer should be no. Uh, one of the things that we know, though, unfortunately, over the last uh, few years, both at the state level and the federal level, We've had uh, a governor who stacked our court in the uh, Arizona Supreme Court with two unnecessary additional justices. And then uh, our Supreme Court's been stacked by a guy who did not win the popular election last time around. Uh, and he, he got to uh, you know stack the court. So I'm concerned. This is, uh, this is not something that's just a, a slam dunk. Let's just all declare it constitutional and go home. Uh, every Arizonan and every American should be concerned because I don't have the same level of confidence in our court system as I've previously had. And even if these laws are later ruled unconstitutional, the persons who are arrested, who are charged, who are inconvenienced under these laws, they lose various rights. They they are you know, permanently scarred by the experience of being arrested, being held in jail, and being targeted for speaking out and protecting their um, speaking out for for their communities and protecting their right to free speech. So, you know, even if these laws are later ruled unconstitutional, it's important that we make sure that we tell our legislature that we don't want to see, we, we want to respect protests, we want to see people out be able to participate in our democracy without fear of police retaliation or prosecution. You know, one of the things in our reporting that really kind of lends to the intent, right, not only by these lawmakers, but it's supported by the police and prosecutors view. I want to read you, and you're going to see some of this in my additional reporting coming up very soon, but it shows that, that their, their intent is to silence completely. Here is what Amy Caper in our first story told us, but what she was said in custody. This is from an officer talking to her, and I'm going to read her direct quote for you. The officer said, I heard you talking about your job. It seems really important to you and you really like it. Well, just so you know that if you keep doing this stuff, you're not going to have a career anymore. And she said, is that a threat? And he was like, no, I just want you to realize the weight of what you've done here. The fact that that comment is even made to her, as if that's even the officer's place, as someone to serve and protect and is supposed to be an, an independent, um, not impassionate, um, you know, provider of justice is, is very, is very troubling in itself that they feel emboldened and wanting to express that to someone in their custody who's not yet been found guilty of anything. 
and even even unexpressed, uh, she she's obviously aware of that. And people know if you get arrested, you spend the night in jail, you don't show up for for work the next day, your job's in jeopardy, uh, and you have expense you have expenses, lawyers, babysitters. I mean, you you name it. You have any number of costs that you bear before you're found guilty of anything. We'll return in a cl- concluding segment in just a moment. We'll continue this discussion in the think tank. What a field day for the heat A thousand people in the street Singing songs and carrying signs Mostly say hooray for our side It's time we stop, hey, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. Okay, final segment here discussing protest and police behavior. Tom Ryan, in a couple of segments ago, you were about to tell a, an anecdote that uh, I cut you off on, and I told you I'd give you a chance later on. Uh, all yours, Tom. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. I, I, when Back when I was representing the uh, recall movement to recall then-Senator Russell Pierce, one of the volunteers that was out collecting uh, petitions had gone to a training session in downtown Phoenix. And after the session was over, it was about eight o'clock in the evening, he uh, was leaving the, uh, the building with a stack of uh, petitions, recall petitions under his arm. Uh, he drove less than a block. He kind of slowed down at a stop sign. There was no traffic, and so he rode through it. Shortly thereafter, he was pulled over by a city of Phoenix police officer uh, who demanded that he get out of the car, uh, who then, uh, you know, rifled through the car to see if there was any drugs, guns, or weapons in there. The, the young man consented, a Latino man. And then uh, finding nothing, he then forced, uh, he, he, another police officer came up and they forced the young man to go through a body cavity search. Uh, again, finding nothing, they gave him a ticket and went away. Um, they asked me to uh, look at that. I went down to the courthouse and I told the young man, we're going to go through this. We're going to contest this. We're going to put on the record exactly what this police officer did to you, but you're going to expect to be found uh, responsible for the failure to stop at the stop sign thing. The judge was very upset with me for making a record of what the molestation this police officer did of this young man. And while I was putting it on the record, I, I happened to look over at the police officer who was smirking and laughing as, as if this was all a very funny story. I put that on the record. There was no accountability in that courtroom. And that's what's tragic. And I think that's what we have here is we have a problem. I want you to think of this problem in the police department in the city of Phoenix as a big oblong box. It's very wide. It's very long. It goes deep and it goes, uh, it's very high. In other words, um, it, it covers a bit, uh, too broad a swath of the city of Phoenix Police Department, and it's been allowed to exist for a long time. The story I just told you occurred in 2010, and we are still we are seeing even worse conduct today now by the city of Phoenix Police Department. I think the problem we have here is, you know, uh, you have a mayor like Kate Gallego or Greg Stanton who are good people, but they know of this difficulty with the police department. But it's easier to go along and get along than it is to start the process of changing it. 
you have a very powerful police union that that protects this misconduct of these police officers. And even if you bring in a person of color like Jerry Williams, who's got this incredible background, she either is incapable of making the changes that she has been talking about, uh, or has, it was just all a bunch of talk. But the problem is that the city of Phoenix Police Department in its abusive conduct has gotten much worse. And now we have a state legislature that is trying to broaden the field of the misconduct that they can engage in. That's a concern. And the people who pay the price for this lack of oversight are the people who, you know, the black and brown youth who are out there protesting, who are the victims of this police brutality, who are trying to make a better life for them and their communities. Um, the lack of accountability from our leaders at the top is paid for by the in 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 prison time and in jail time and in pain by our protesters and our black and brown youth. And we really need our, our elected officials at the city council and, and Mayor Gallego's office to step up and to put some more civilian controls over the Phoenix Police Department. There's another, there's another problem here, and David, I apologize, but there's another problem here that's allowing this police misconduct to go on. The Department of Justice has a civil rights division but under the four years of Donald Trump, it has been effectively gutted. And with the Supreme Court supporting the effective gutting of civil rights laws and voting rights laws, it has allowed this kind of misconduct to go. So we, we've removed all these checks and balances at a federal level and a state level. And it, it, we, we need to get a, a Department of Justice back with a civil, civil rights division that will go out and pursue the kind of misconduct that Darrell and David are talking about here, David. So, so one of the things that I think is really interesting about these protest cases, and it lends into all of this, and it, it kind of gets to the lack of accountability and perhaps the too cozy of a relationship between prosecutors and police, right? Now, they're going to have a relationship. They have to bring cases together uh, to, to prosecute legitimate, serious crime, of course. But what Adele, Alistair Adele has created, and this wasn't a Bill Montgomery creation, this was an Alistair Adele created, is about a year and a few months ago, um, back in late 2019, she created the first responders unit. This is a unit that they have created to specifically prosecute crimes against first responders, mainly police. So they felt that they needed a special unit to prosecute cases against people, against police, because they felt that the police are an underrepresented victim, um, I guess, in their office. The problem is they've now taken these protest cases and they put them under the first responders bureau, right? So they're literally now pitting these protesters, protesting police brutality as, and putting police in their side as the victims. And it makes defense attorneys in these cases wonder, they, they've already picked a side. They're thumbing the scale of justice. They're saying that your protesting crimes are a direct affront to the police officers and they are the victims. And it's that kind of, well, it's that kind of decision-making. It's this kind of unit and putting those cases underneath that are raising a lot of concerns. There's, there's one, oh, go ahead, Darrell. And Adele's approach to protesters stands in stark contrast to the way she's treated police officers who are accused of wrongdoing. Uh, the police officer who uh, made the comments about um, shooting Mayor Gallego, Alistair Adele decided not to bring charges, even though he repeated those comments twice in public. Um, she's also decided not to bring charges against a DPS trooper who killed Deion Johnson under the theory that 
there was not enough um, evidence to, to secure a conviction. When it comes to protesters, all that goes out to the window. Um, protesters are charged now, and then they ask questions later. And Adele has really ignored her role as a minister of justice and her ethical duty to pursue only charges where there's probable cause. There's not probable cause in these protest cases, and she needs to drop the charges and let, let these people move on with their lives. I got uh, 10 or 15 seconds each yet. If there's one thing each of you would suggest as a fix to these issues, what is it? As quickly as possible. Tom. Get rid of qualified immunity for police officers who injure and kill American citizens. It's nothing more than a license to kill, injure, and, and not have any accountability. David. Transparency. As a reporter, we want to see the proof. We want to see facts. We want to see evidence. Okay, Durrell. We need civilian control over police um, police. Um, department. So we need Mayor Gallego to assert her authority to control the police, Phoenix Police Department, and we need a civilian oversight board to judge the actions of police officers. Okay, I will, I will just conclude by noting there are two people mentioned here prominently, uh, the County Attorney uh, Alistair Adele and uh, uh, Chief uh, Williams, who has been a guest in the past. You're both welcome to come here and give us your version. Uh, I thank you all. We'll see you next week in the Think Tank. Yeah.